Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey. Businesses have to communicate more effectively if they're going to survive, and I really feel it's an advantage for smaller companies over larger companies because I really do believe in this David versus Goliath. There are no barriers to entry in content marketing, and in a lot of cases, speed counts, and you have to have a culture change in order to adopt some of these principles, and it's easier for smaller businesses to do that than larger businesses. You can't communicate or you can't create a content marketing strategy that's going to work unless you consistently talk with your readership. Yeah, you can do all the research online and the Twitter hashtags, and that's great. You should definitely do that. We call that setting up listening posts. You want to set up lots of listening posts. But at the end of the day, you also want to talk to your customers. I'm very pleased today to introduce Joe Polizzi. Joe is the founder of the Content Marketing Institute and one of the world's leading experts on content marketing, a term he started to use back in 2001 to describe an approach to marketing focused on creating and distributing valuable, relevant, and consistent content. Joe is the author of several books on content marketing, including Epic Content Marketing, How to Tell a Different Story, Break Through the Clutter, and Win More Customers by Marketing Less. What was the insight that you had about content marketing? I think you're credited with actually giving it the formal name, but um, I mean, you obviously working, you know, came to this from the work you'd been doing before. Yeah, I started, I was at a publishing company called Penton Media, uh, based out of Cleveland, now based out of New York City. I was overseeing the custom content, custom media program at Penton. So basically what that means is Penton, large business to business company, had many different titles. And it was a business media model, so everyone, you know, we sold advertising for the most part in a lot of niche publications. And so we ran this content department. So whenever a salesperson couldn't sell advertising, they threw it over the fence to us, and we tried to work with those sponsors to help them with, you know, how do you tell better stories? And it came out through blog blog programs and webinar programs and event programs and ebook programs and whatnot. I actually, in selling that, I met with a lot of chief marketing officers from, from some fairly large companies. And when I talked to them about, the, you know, the term was called custom publishing at the time and then custom media. And nobody cared. Nobody knew what it was. People thought if you're talking about custom publishing or talking about book publishing, they didn't have any interest at all. And I started to test names out and started to say something like content marketing. This is back in 2001, 2002. And it's the only term where the chief marketing officers would actually sit up in their chairs a little bit and start listening to me. And that's when I realized that if you're going to target marketers, you better call what you do marketing or they don't care about it. So that's when I started to get in the whole idea of maybe this is positioning around content marketing where there's more and more businesses that need to tell a story that want to uh, get the attention of customers in some way. And to do that, they have to be interesting. They have to talk about interesting things, pain points their customers are dealing with, and decided to, you know, always had a goal to be an entrepreneur, start my own thing, decided to leave Penton at the end of March in 2007. And, and a day later, I was open for business uh, for what has now become, after a couple pivots, what has now become the Content Marketing Institute. Uh, but my passion was around how do you help companies communicate better? And I didn't think they did that around traditional PR or traditional advertising. I think it, I thought it was around publishing. I thought I really did believe that the marketing department in any size company would start to look more like a publishing environment 
than a marketing environment. And uh, you know, lucky, luckily for us, it, it worked out. And after a few pivots from you know in 07, 08, 09, went through some struggles. We were bleeding cash. I didn't think I could make it. Ended up pivoting the model to a business media model, what I was very familiar with, where we would go and we would go after sponsors and uh, paid content, create events and whatnot. Launched Chief Content Officer Magazine in 2011. Launched a Content Marketing World event. Our first event was in 2011, and from there, you know, it's it's pretty, you know, it worked out fairly well, but it, it was quite a journey to get there. But it was all around this belief where businesses have to communicate more effectively if they're going to survive. And I really feel it's an advantage for smaller companies over larger companies because I really do believe in this David versus Goliath. There are no barriers to entry in content marketing. And in a lot of cases, speed counts. And you have to have a culture change in order to adopt some of these principles. And it's easier for smaller businesses to do that than larger businesses, which is why I was excited when I wrote the book uh, Epic Content Marketing last year. It was really some people think it was focused on larger businesses. It was really focused on smaller companies and how they can use the principles and the approach of content marketing to attract and retain customers. Great, very interesting. How would you say the before and after or the, the generic description of marketing when it's not working well and content marketing when it's working well? I guess the, the before and after, because you saw a problem and how would you characterize that problem before people got the message or before someone understands the power of, of content marketing? What kind of mistakes were they making, do you think? Well, when we went into any size company, but I generally went into large businesses and we did what was called a content audit or very basic review of what they were doing from a marketing standpoint. And you looked at all the content that they were creating. That could be their emails, their blog posts, their press releases. 95% of it was about themselves. Oh, we launched this new product. We won this new award. We're awesome, awesome, awesome. And of course, that doesn't work that well today. People don't care about that, or, or customers only care about that at a very uh, small percentage of the overall buying journey. It just makes no sense. So we were out there, you know, it's almost like on Twitter, right? If you're, if you, almost like it's a cocktail party, right? If, you, if you're on Twitter and you're just talking about yourself, no, everybody's going to ignore you. Nobody wants to find you're not being helpful. So the idea with content marketing is, Let's just focus on the audience. What's their needs? What's their pain points? What keeps them up at night? Let's really focus on a niche area that we can be the leading informational expert and truly be helpful. That's the whole idea behind content marketing. And grow an audience and not try to sell them right away, but grow an audience over time that we can generate sales from or save costs or create more loyalty or better relationships with. And I just, I just love the model. It just feels like it's the right model. I really do believe, Virgo, that it's... If we were all going to start, let's say that, that we had a clean slate and we were all going to start our marketing fresh tomorrow, I don't think we would say, hmm, how, how do I go and find somebody else's channel, rent space from them, and create an advertising to try to distract people from the content they want? I don't think people would do that. I think they would say, how do I find my audience? How do I deliver real value to my audience on a regular basis? And then ultimately, how can I create relationships with that audience? All content is needed through that whole process, and I think that's the big change and the difference I see between marketing and content marketing. Marketing traditionally is we talk about ourselves. Content marketing is we really focus on the needs and pain points of our audience, and because we do that on a regular basis and they start to rely on us, they're going to give back in the forms of, in the future, buying from us or staying more loyal as a customer to us because we're delivering all that value. 
Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot of sense. When you look at someone like a social entrepreneur, I suppose it's it's somewhat different. In one sense, it's the same. There are other elements in play, I suppose, in the same way that if you're a charity, the good work that you're doing may not directly impinge upon the buyer beyond the fact that they feel good, that they've you know helped create change. Although in many social entrepreneurial models, if you're looking at, say, fair trade, maybe you're buying fair trade coffee or something, there is a, you know, a, a, a kind of connection like that. If you are a social entrepreneur, basic question, can content marketing help you? Absolutely. Actually, it, I think for a social entrepreneur, it's more important than anything else because you're playing with the emotions of people and, and people buy mostly because of their emotional connection with another brand. So how can you show that? Like if it's fair trade, what does fair trade mean? What kind of impact are you making around the world? What kind of stories do you have to tell? Like, I'm very, we're very close at Content Marketing Institute with the, um, with helping autistic children find speech therapy. We've been associated with that cause for the last eight years now. So, what if I was looking at that and that was my sole goal? I would want to focus. On what stories can I tell? What's the difference? Can I tell stories about how children have had early intervention and and speech therapy? What it's made in a difference in that person's life, or how do I educate people as to this real problem that's going on? I work with a, we've, I worked with a lot of nonprofits. I've learned worked with a lot of people that have a higher purpose as part of, uh, you know, I think very similar to what you're talking about with a social entrepreneur. And most of them focus so much on the service they don't communicate the service benefits. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that you have to talk about here's what we offer. I'm talking about tell the story. Tell, talk about the impact. Uh, what's great about today is the marketing is there right in front of you. You have people that are compassionate because of that cause, and they want to share. If they give to you, they want to share. Uh, they don't want to just say, oh, I gave to this. What they want to do is they want to share the stories of impact you're making, or they want to edu- help educate the people that follow them about what you're doing or why it's even important that they're affiliated with this cause. So I think the core is for a social entrepreneur to really figure out, okay, what is the informational niche that you're going after? And I think if you focus, that's what a media company does. It's like, okay, who's the audience I'm trying to target? How specific can you be? And then what is the informational niche between what I'm really good at, what what we really are focused on for our higher purpose, and what the informational needs of my customers are? That is a sweet spot in the middle. If you can figure out what that sweet spot is and publish consistently in that, it could be anything. It could be blog posts, could be pictures uh, that you might post on Instagram, could be a podcast like this one. Could, it doesn't matter what those are. That's down the road. That's when you figure out the channels. First of all, we want to figure out the plan. This is all about planning. And I think if you do that consistently, uh, you don't need advertising. You don't need, I mean, advertising is great, but you don't have to do it. And that's where you'll get more and more people and influencers that want to partner with you because they want, they want these stories to be told. These are really, really important. So what's great about the social entrepreneur is you already have something that's pretty darn important to a lot of people. You just need to tell a story that enables them to share it. Right, right. That's very interesting that you're foregrounding, getting the basic principle right in terms of looking at the planning and asking yourself these fundamental questions. I guess the next step is a challenging one as well, because let's say you, you've identified an, an area where you want to communicate and share your messages. The quality of messaging in on the internet generally has taken off so that viral videos, which are probably an extreme end, but you just generally are people right to be concerned that, you know, if you get a half-baked story out there, you think, actually, this 
a great story, but how do I tell a good story or how do I get the story out there? Because if you tell a bad story or you don't get it out, I imagine that's a fear that people have is, is, you know, I'm not a storyteller. I mean, I believe passionately in what I'm doing, but how do you do that? Well, as any, so you're talking about a social entrepreneur, just take any entrepreneur, any entrepreneur in order to scale the business, in order to grow the business has to figure out what they're good at and what they're not good at. Like I just happen to be a pretty decent writer. I can tell a pretty good story. I can write a book. I can do those things. I have a lot of entrepreneur friends of mine that are terrible at it. They know the strategy, but they can't write. So what do they do? Hire people that help them. And that's what's one. There's so many resources out there for people to find journalists, copywriters, video producers, those people that understand how to tell a really good story. So I would go and find those people instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to do this myself. So that's the first decision that entrepreneur needs to make to do that. There's no, um, there's no room today to tell lackluster stories. So if you start your plan and you decide, here's my industry niche, here's what we're going to go after, here's our goal, and you create sixes and sevens instead of nines and tens for your content, you've got a problem. So you actually have to commit to it because there's so much bad content out there, um, you have to cut through the clutter in some way. So I would hire people to help you tell that story. And what's great is that you don't have to have a ton of resources. You can hire a lot of contract workers to help you get that done. And then as you go, you can find influencers and other people that will want to support you, and they probably will do it for free because they want to be part of something special. But you've got to build that base first. So once you build that consistency, that's probably the most important thing. So once you get the process, you say, okay, I'm not going to be a storyteller. I'm going to create the product. Let's say it's a, it's a daily blog or every other day blog post that you're going to put up or podcast. You can start to create these things, create an editorial calendar, commit to it, and then never stop. I mean, never, never miss that schedule. Always make sure that you're hitting that date. And that's what I would say most entrepreneurs do wrong is they create all these different channels to communicate with, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or podcasts or blogs, and then they don't consistently update it. Well, what does every great publishing company out there do? They always publish consistently. Yeah. So we've got yeah. to make sure we hit that editorial calendar and you'll be successful. And the results don't come right away. Sometimes it takes six months, nine months, 12 months, because it takes a while to build a relationship with an audience. And we want to build an audience over time so that in the future, then we can figure out what do we want? Do we want more donations? Do we want them to buy something from us? Do we want them to stay on as customers and buy more? Then we can figure out kind of the, the overall business objectives that are going to make the overall business run. Right, right. That's very interesting. Of course, I go back then to the, this question of what you were saying at the beginning and the planning. So we're talking about, let's say, an autism-related organization, because you mentioned the idea of an audience and so forth. Clearly, there are many, many organizations operating, great organizations doing great things. How difficult is it to work out this kind of sweet spot? <laughs> and, and what is the process? Well, first of all, you have to make sure that it's something that you have the authority to publish on. So like, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're going after autism, but you, you really don't have any expertise in that area and it doesn't make sense with your overall objectives, then it doesn't work, right? So you really have to go in and say, okay, what's, what's a story that we can tell? What's a different story? I mean, we don't want to, we want to tell a different story. We don't want to tell the same story somebody else is telling a little bit better. That's a big issue. There's a lot of things we'll go out and we'll do an audit of what some of the competition is doing. And by competition, I mean anybody else who's publishing around that same story. And we don't want to say, oh, look, how, how do we say that, that 10 tips to whatever a little bit better? I think you're going up the wrong tree with that one. I think you have to focus on how can I tell a completely different story? 
So, I mean, it's doing, I, I mean, you do research just like any other business would. So once you start to figure out what that niche is, so like, let's bring it back to autism. There's a lot of people telling stories around autism, but what's the story that you can tell that's not being told effectively? Then you can do keyword, you know, keyword analysis. What are some keywords? Some, and you could, you know, use tools like Google Trends or, um, or do your Google keyword analysis and AdWords and really figure out, okay, what are people searching for? What are searches that are on the rise that are relevant? And then you can figure out, okay, great, I can start to talk about these things. But more importantly, I would actually have conversations with your customers, which a lot of people don't do. Like sit down with your customers, figure out what do they want to hear, what's important to them, what gets them emotional over this area. Um, when I, I just did a conference recently, and I there's a bunch of marketing people in the audience, and I and I asked them, how many of you have talked to your customers over the last three months? And only about 10% raised their hands. Well, you, yeah. you can't you can't communicate or you can't create a content marketing strategy that's going to work unless you consistently talk with your readership. Yeah. So you have to figure out. Yeah, you can do all the research online and the Twitter hashtags, and that's great. You should definitely do that. We call that setting up listening posts. You want to set up lots of listening posts, but at the end of the day, you also want to talk to your customers. So then, once you do all that, you're going to create what we call a content marketing mission statement, which I think is the most important thing to do when you're creating your overall content marketing strategy. So that's just like an editorial mission statement that you'd have in any publishing company, and it focuses on who you're targeting. So in your mission statement, you have, okay, who's the target? Be very specific. If it's broad, you're not going to be relevant enough. You want to be very specific to the core person that you're trying to reach. What are you going to deliver? You're probably going to deliver useful information, something that people can do something with that's going to help their lives or their jobs in some way. And then at the end of the day, what is the action that you want out of it? What, what are you what are you going to do to that audience that's going to help them, you know, live that life better, that uh, get a better job, or be more emotionally sensitive, or talk more about what you have to do, what you're doing? So really put that into a mission statement, just like you have a mission statement probably for your business. You need one for your content marketing strategy. So I would say start off with that mission statement, and then every piece of content you create needs to fit within that mission. And if it doesn't, you don't create it. And that's why I think a lot of businesses go wrong because it's like, it's almost like they create content for content's sake. It's, oh, we got to have something on Twitter. we got to have something on Facebook. No, you don't. We want to have the right information on there so we can build trust and credibility, build subscribers so that people want to opt into our message and then we can influence them over time. Right, right. That's very interesting. That's really helpful. Um, I suppose in a sense, you know, it's positioning yourself as a storyteller. And I suppose that kind of awareness of what other stories are being told and and just listening the whole time and being aware and seeing that as part of your job really i guess is a kind of key way of thinking about it well i mean you i mean whether whether you say it or not everyone's a storyteller i mean everybody you you might be a bad storyteller but you, you know, everybody has uh is, has the ability to tell stories it's just whether or not you want to do that to help drive business and I think if you're looking at, if you're doing your job as a creator of stories ongoing, you want to make sure that you keep your ear to the ground with what stories are being told in the industry. I mean, your goal is to be the leading informational expert for that niche that we talked about. And if you don't know what else is going on in the industry, so what is the competition? The competition is not necessarily the competition for your product or service. It's everything that you're audience is engaging with on a regular basis. That means it's Facebook, it's Google, 
it's uh, it's other associations, it's those types of people. So we want to make sure we keep our ear to the ground and know what's going on because honestly, a lot of your new stories can come from listening to the other stories being told, but you can give your own take to it, put your lens in front of it, and then be have that content be really more impactful because you have a certain take that maybe somebody else isn't telling. Right, right. And I suppose it, it's important to think really, really, I mean, the word niche, but keep it very, very narrow because quite quickly, I imagine, you know, there's so many people out there telling different messages that by keeping really, really targeted and then maybe, you know, you can widen it over time. The, the more narrow you go, the more relevant you can be. The wider you go, the more irrelevant you're going to be and it's probably not going to make impact. So I always say go find the smallest niche you possibly can, then go a little bit smaller. And focus on that. I'm going to give you an example. I mean, even with content, when we chose content marketing as our industry niche in 2007, that was very niche. Nobody was talking about it in that way. So we were very, very targeted to content creators and enterprises, and there weren't that a lot of those uh, at least identifying themselves that way in 2007. If we started today in 2014, um, it's too broad. We'd never do just content. I'd have to do content marketing and nonprofits or content marketing and banks and I'd have to get more niche because it's too broad to start now. So I guess if you think about it that way, like really focus on the small and, and by the way, entrepreneurs hate to do that because we want to reach as many people as possible. But and you can do that other ways, but if you're talking about a content marketing program, you want to focus on the smallest area where you can actually say, could we be the leading informational source for that niche? And if the answer is no, then you're probably not going niche enough. Right. That, that, that's very interesting. And, and in a similar way, I suppose, you know, a viral video on YouTube and so forth is very, sounds very exciting. But again, I know the resources, although a lot less today than, than years before, to do something really smart and professional, you know, uh, still uh, reasonably substantial. Is there a sense in which you're starting like really small, starting with a blog, building up? Is there some kind of path that you see there that makes sense as you're getting your feet, as it were? Well, the blog, the, the blog is something that you can control. Uh, the one thing, I have no problem with, with creating communication platforms on, on Facebook and using Twitter and LinkedIn and whatnot, but the problem is any followers or fans that you have on those platforms, you don't own. You don't have control over any of that, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn do. So at least if we create a blog, you can do anything out of a blog, right? You can create video, you, know, you can embed videos into your blog. You can embed podcasts into your blog. It's something you own, something you control, and then you could leverage other distribution mechanisms like a YouTube or like an iTunes outside of that. So that's why I'm a big proponent of what can you actually own and control and what, what can be your home base, your hub, so that you can generate audience over a long period of time. Because we ultimately what we want is subscribers. We want to build our audience so that, that we can have that relationship, that direct one-on-one, -on -one, and then down the line, you can get the type of, you know, you can have them buy something or you can have them buy more if they're, they're current customers. So probably the easiest place for entrepreneurs, especially ones on a budget, is to start some kind of a blog as long as they have, as long as they have the right strategy first. I don't just want to say go start a blog because if you don't have the right strategy, you don't have the editorial plan built out, and you don't have a way to keep up consistency. Because uh, once you miss a date, if you say you're going to publish every day and then you don't publish on Wednesday, or it's, it's almost like, oh, I'm going to get a newspaper subscription, but, oh, maybe it'll show up one today and maybe it'll show up tomorrow. But if you don't show up, you're really upset. You're going to upset your readership and then you're going to lose your credibility. So you've got to make sure you deliver on your content promise. But starting with a blog 
is probably a really good way to do it once you have the strategy uh, complete. Brilliant, brilliant. That's been really interesting and very helpful. I just wonder one last thing. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about Content Marketing World 2014? It sounds like it was a great success and maybe one or two things that you observed that you found either interesting or surprising. It sounds like it's the heart of the matter with so many committed content marketers there. Well, it's interesting. We started uh, Content Marketing World in 2011 and we we were expecting when we launched it, we were hoping 100 to 150 would show up and, and 600 showed up that first year. Um, so now we're in our fourth year. We had 2,600 from 50 countries. So it, what, what's amazing, I think what we realized this year is that this is a real practice area. This is where you have small companies, medium-sized companies, and large companies that are really taking this seriously. And they really believe there's a better way and instead of talking about themselves all the time, they can really create processes to be completely helpful and useful to customers, and they don't have to be pitching their product all the time. I really do believe it's a better way to market. By the way, I don't, I'm, I'm not a hater against advertising or traditional PR. I think there's a place for those things. But over the past many, many years, we put so many resources into traditional marketing. I think we've forgotten that we can tell really good stories and build an audience, and that's probably the most authentic way to go to market, and you can actually scale scale this. So I think what Content Marketing World showed us is that this is possible. You have companies that are actually doing this, and we've just we're just at the very start. So I mean, content marketing as an industry is over a hundred years old, but we're still in early adoption phase. So we're still, <laughs> for the most part, you have companies out there that are still spending the majority of their money on paid advertising and paid PR. Uh, we're still seeing, it's about 25% of the overall spend is spent on content market, content creation and distribution. Still very small. I really do believe that's going to go to you know, 40, 50% over the next five to 10 years. So we've got a long way to go. So it's, it's, it's very exciting. Still in early adoption phase and, and, and so old industry, but still very immature industry. Right. Wow. And presumably for the nonprofit area, even maybe less developed and more potential. I would, I would agree with that. I mean, th this year actually was the first year we had just a section for nonprofits. So we had one, the last day of the event, we had about 50 nonprofits that were in a room and talking about, you know, their challenges and what they're going for. And they're very unique challenges, right? But still, what's amazing is nonprofits usually have the best stories to tell, but they haven't set up the processes in order to tell them on a consistent basis. That's the biggest thing I see with nonprofits is consistency. And a lot of nonprofits, when they do content creation, they do think about that viral video. You don't realize, and by the way, I don't even care about if it goes viral. What I want to reach is the right two or three people, not the wrong 3,000 or 300,000 people. So I want to reach the right people with that. And viral, if it happens, will happen after 1,000 pieces of really good content. You know, you can't plan for viral. You don't, you never know what's going to happen. So. Nonprofits, if you start with that strategy, I think there's a real amazing opportunity because you, you already know the stories that are compelling to your audience. We just need to set up the processes to get those stories told. Wow, very exciting. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe, for taking the time to share your insights and experience, and it's been very helpful. And I wish you the very best with Content Marketing Institute and your various content marketing endeavors and books. And thank you very much, Joe. Well, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.